us to find our Africa, to find our African roots, and to begin to put together a story that was raped from us. We have the test. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the our next installment of uh, the podcast. Um, today, I have with me uh, Mr. Uh, T.L. Dixon. He is a uh, genetic genealogist, um, and I will be, you know, asking him questions, and hopefully he gives you guys, you know, a great answer. <laughs> um, so, first of all, welcome. <laughs> welcome. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm wonderful. So, we're, we're here in Harlem. Um, Yes. Which I think is like a perfect spot to be talking about uh, history, especially African American history. Um, I mean, we're a little bit out of Black History Month, but you know that's fine. Well, Black History is all the time, so exactly. you're right on time. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so first, I'm I'm just gonna ask you, um, tell me what got you interested in genealogy. Well, interestingly, I was adopted as a child. And um, even from that time, I always wanted to know about my ancestral roots. And one of the things that actually propelled my interest was my adopted father's uh, family, the Curry Dunning Harper family, which has hundreds of members, a lot of uh, centenarians, and uh, basically a lot of history. And as I dwelled into that history, I begin to uh, get a passionate interest into the genealogy portion. Um, so I think it was sort of a natural progression. And after my adoptive parents passed away, that I developed an interest in looking for my biological roots. And um, I first, uh, and actually around 2010, I believe, Ancestry.com or Ancestry DNA introduced what what is called the uniparental test or maternal and paternal haplogroup testing. And I had a cousin who wanted me to take the test because she knew I was like the family uh, historian at the time. But when I looked at what the test could offer, only um, small specific roots of the family, I sort of wasn't so interested. And um, then maybe a year later, um, Ancestry offered an autosomal DNA test, and the autosomal DNA test is actually, it analyzes points on your genome um, to determine your ethnic percentages, as well as to match you to biological DNA relatives. So it's really a two-pronged test. And I took that test. It wasn't so informative, and then I took the test at 23andMe, which not only offered haplogroups, it also offered percentages of where supposedly my ancestors would come from. And then I, um, one of the things that I like to do, I'm sort of a geek about these things. I like to study what I'm getting into, and especially if I'm paying for it. So I begin to do a lot of self-studying. I joined the 23andMe Community Forum and discovered that I had a natural ability to help people understand what the DNA results meant based on my own research and according to the experts I was always right so I developed this sort of uh, personality named King Genome and has since uh, tested widely in the West in the rest is history okay 
Definitely inspiring story. Um, so let's dwell into that. I, I know you just recently connected with your uh, biological family on your uh, biological father's side. Yes. Um, so can you kind of like talk about that a little bit and how okay. you got to that and how that experience was? Okay, well, it really started with, well, first of all, growing up, I always knew the name of my mother. My uh, biological parents, they were older and they never actually kept that from me. And we had actually moved to Alabama when I was about 11 years old. So I kind of, we kind of, I guess, lost contact with them ever trying to contact me. But anyway, around 2011, I think I was at a low point in my life at the time, but I decided to use my journal because I became a journalist at, and I went to Rutgers University, and I decided to use my journalism skills to see what I can find out about my biological mother. So um, again, in 2011, I began looking on Ancestry uh, for her, and unfortunately, I discovered that she had passed away at the age of 33 in 1992. And um, I was kind of devastated, but I also um, uh, knew that I had a biological sister who was eight years younger than me. And so I said, well, maybe I could find her. So I actually took the information from the death certificate, from my mother's death certificate, and it listed her parents. So I began to look for them actually on Facebook. And I was able to actually find my sister, she looks just like me, <laughs> by looking up her uh, name and was hoping that she didn't get married, and she didn't. So I found my biological sister, and I found a first cousin. Um, unfortunately, not only did my mother pass away, but both of her parents, my maternal grandparents, they had passed away. My sister, she had three children, and no one knew who my father was, but I was fortunately able to meet my grandmother's last surviving sister, and her name was Evelyn Phil. She was an educator and a librarian, and she was actually a trustee at Rutgers, although I didn't know, and I was going at the time. Um, she has uh, a Raritan Valley Community College named in her honor, and so I was able to meet her, and I was very fascinated about what did she know <laughs> about me. And, um, of course, nobody really knew that my mother had a child because my grandparents' family, they were very well educated and represented the, I guess, the, the top or the bougie people, the you know, yeah, the talented 10, mm -hmm. the Jack and Jill clubs, you know, of the town. And what happened is... Uh, my mother got pregnant at the age of 14, and it was a scandal, and they took my mother and hid her away, mm -hmm. and she had me, and, and she came back like nothing ever happened, and I think that that affected my mother's life, causing to, you know, her to actually lead to an, an early death. But however, uh, talking to my aunt, I was able to learn um, some fascinating things about uh, you know, my family, like, they came from Georgia and was able to found an African-American town in Bridgewater, New Jersey called Hobbstown. Hmm. And that town is still in existence to, the, to this day, and they're actually trying to get that area renamed Hobbstown. Oh, wow. um, I had an aunt who, I'm a writer, she uh, moved to California, and um, she became the president of the National Baptist Convention, oh, traveled wow. to Seoul, South Korea, 
traveled to Haiti, Sweden, and a few other places. And she uh, founded the Black Authors Club of America and had a bookmobile. And I had just missed her. She died in 2010. She raised my sister. And when she died, the then mayor of Los Angeles actually came and spoke at her funeral. So she must have been somebody. And I was like, wow, I've like missed out on a lot. But a lot that comes at a price um, of, of scandal in the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, my great-grandmother, she lived to be 100, my grandmother's mother, and I was born on her birthday. Wow. So I kind of found it odd that my grandmother would make her daughter give up her child on her own mother's birthday. You know, the irony of it all. But I do understand <laughs> that bastardy sort of meant something different. Mm-hmm. So after I found her, I began to look at my grandfather's side of the family, and I discovered that we're related to the Wyckoff family of America, whose residents, they have a, a, the Wyckoff farmhouse in Brooklyn. It's the oldest extent um, resident in New York City, okay. built around 1670 or something like that, and it's still in existence. But we're related to those people, and we come from three people of color mm-hmm. who were mixed with Malagasy and Native Americans. And, and they were from Colonial, New Jersey, not from the South. Okay. So I was able to discover that. And um, then the last portion, to make a long story short, is finding my father. Of course, nobody knew who my father was. And um, that's where I sort of relied on DNA testing. Mm. And just one day, six years later, uh, two actually half-first cousins showed up that were related to me. And I thought that that was, you know, very interesting. And I was able to reach out to her, and I told her that one of your uncles, based on the DNA test, has to be my father. So we went through the list, and um, there were two brothers. And actually, one of the brothers lived in New Jersey and had my nickname, uh, Terry. Everybody called me T.L., but they called me Terry. So I figured he had to be my father. Mm -hmm. So I tested him, and he came back as my full uncle. So then it came down to his brother. I tested his brother actually lived in Florida. I wrote a letter blindly and his wife got the letter and gave it to him. And he said that he was with my mother and he tested and he was my father. And um, an interesting thing about that is my aunt, my father's full sister, was married to Kanye West's father. Oh, really? and me and her get along, and we've actually had some very interesting conversations uh, about Africa mm. and uh, what it means. So I, I just feel like I'm, and I just actually connected with my biological father last year. I went to Florida, and I have two brothers, seven new nieces and nephews. One of my brothers belongs to actually what is called the Ramapo Native American tribe. It's just really interesting, you know, how all of these things have come together. So I kind of feel truly blessed. And I want to um, help. And, and also, it, um, I wanted to say that during this search, there was a lot of frustration. And trying to find relatives, you experience rejection. You experience people that's just not interested in getting to know you. And I use that energy, all of that hate and pain, to actually help other people look for their relatives to make them happy. And that's um, where I'm at today, and that's how I got there. Well, it sounds like a long but rewarding <laughs> path, rewarding story. Yes. Um, so let me ask more about 
uh, Native American DNA? Because I know you're one of the few people that I know that actually has taken that as a passion to, as a to passion. go after. Well, Native American DNA is a very interesting topic. And the first thing that I want to say, that contrary to what people like Dr. Henry Louis Gates Jr. says, that most black people don't have uh, Native American, they're obsessed with having American, Native American DNA. What I want to say is really all Americans, no matter the race, are obsessed with having Native American DNA. And I discovered that early on, and that's how I was able to um, develop it into sort of like a, a movement where people, a lot of people come to me to help explain whether or not they have Native American DNA. And, um, but, we, but let's talk specifically about uh, African Americans and Native American DNA. Mm -hmm. And um, first of all, you have to realize that ever since Christopher Columbus discovered that he was lost in 1492 and arrived, there were people of African descent with him, and then later arrivals, uh, later explorers, like in the 1500s, who like came to uh, New York, or New Am or it was called New Amsterdam, mm -hmm. um, they, for instance, left a half-black, half-Portuguese person in Long Island, what was present-day Long Island, they left him here. He was the first non-Native American resident here, and he was able to mix with the local tribe and have children, and from what I understand, several different wives. And when they arrived back, his family had multiplied. And this was in the 1500s going into the 1600s. Also, during the 1600s, when the Dutch and then when the English started to arrive, in, to arrive um with African slaves and indentured European servants, they worked alongside Native Americans. In the South, during the fifteen, I mean, during the sixteen hundreds, you had enslaved Africans who ran away with to Native Americans in Spanish Florida. Um, so, what I'm suggesting is there were several opportunities for Africans, people of African descent, and Native Americans to mix. And of course, as you know, in the Caribbean as well as in uh, South America, um, there was nothing stopping Native Americans and Africans and Europeans from mixing. Right. So naturally, that's why they have higher amounts, but, but keeping it in, in, in America. So from the 1600s, and particularly with the arrival of Africans in this, um, from 1619 on to about 1830, um, Africans and Native Americans mixed. Native Americans also enslaved Africans, and some of those Africans never, they, were, they only spoke their African mother tongue in the Native American language, but not the European language. Right. But what happened in the 1830s is you had a separation of Native Americans through the Trail of Tears. They were forced off their lands into Oklahoma. So that, like, stopped Native Americans and Africans, as well as Europeans from mixing. So you will find that on average nowadays, and, uh, the average African American has less Native American than a Latino would have, but also they have more than the average white person would have. Mm -hmm. And it's all caused by the same Andrew Jackson and the Trail of Tears. And those small amounts are actually, that, that we do show are real. 
And um, I also want to say that some of us can show up with a Native American haplogroup, uh, mitochondrial DNA or maternal haplogroup or Y DNA. And it so happens that um, on my maternal grandfather's side, they told me that my second great grandmother was Native American and she knew her Native American relatives and that she there's a picture of her with buckskin shoes and all of this. And when I did see my grandfather, I was like, oh yes, he definitely has some type of uh, Native American in him. Mm. And um, I was able to test several other relatives that had a direct maternal link to my second great grandmother just like he does. And they have a Native American haplogroup B2. And B2 is only found in Native Americans, which suggests that my grandfather's mother, her mother, her mother, and her foremothers go back to a Native American woman. And it proves scientifically that she's of Native American descent, even if I have had zero Native American in my uh, admixture percentages, which I do, of course, have some. Right, yeah. And, um, but it just goes to show you that um, and then also with Native American not be not being reintroduced black back into the bloodline, um, it can wash out over time. And so, um, but then you have these uh, Africans. So you have a lot of African Americans who thought that they may have had a closer Native American ancestor based on um, their looks. And I wanted to say something important about looks too. Your looks are not really. Um, determined by, oh, you had a Native American grandmother, so you have straight hair. Your looks are determined by genes in your coding regions that determine your looks. And, and the genes could be a mix of your parents that causes this long hair. Um, uh, slanted eyes, which are epicanthal folds, they're found in China, but they're also found in South Africa. And those populations are genetically distinct. So some features are uh, popular, you know, for lack of a better term, in a lot of different populations. Even if we do have closer European ancestors, even if we have closer African ancestors, we still have Native American ancestors too. For those of us who have it, it's small and legit, and you really can't tell people what they should and should not um, explore. And um, even with our, I mean, because truth be told, if you think about your uh, African ancestors who were enslaved, they may be more distantly related to you than that one Native American ancestor. Mm. Um, and then, you know, you, there's another dynamic of the social construct of having European blood. A lot of people don't want to have European blood, so they do turn to stories in their families. The stories, to me, some people laugh it off, but the stories are usually true. They were handed down. You just got to verify. And some people just don't have any uh, Native American. And very interestingly, what what a big, to me, revolutionary discovery, and I thank 23andMe for finding this, is that what we are finding, these so-called Native American features that we're seeing, they're not Native American, but they're something else Asian. It's from Madagascar. A lot of us are coming up with these percentages of Southeast Asian admixture, mm -hmm. and it's actually from Madagascar. And there were a small number of slaves that were taken from Madagascar and brought to uh, you know the Americas, particularly in the 1700s and the Caribbean. Right. And 
in the Caribbean, you had some of our enslaved ancestors were seasoned in the Caribbean before arriving in the Americas, and that provided opportunities for them to mix with uh, Native Americans as well as those with Malagasy, and then those people would in turn come up here and be described as mulatto, as Indian, as all kind of things. So, but um, uh, for Madagascar, Madagascar, of course, was settled approximately 3,000 years ago by both the uh, Bantu Southeast Africans as well as um, the indigenous people of Borneo. And they've been mixed like that for so long that they've developed their own mutations. And they had stellar rice growing ability. So um, what we're finding now is people see Southeast Asian, they think it's Native American, but it's not. It's really from Madagascar, and it was really hiding in plain sight, and nobody knew about it until we started testing at 23andMe in uh, big numbers. Hmm. You know, that's interesting. So you said um, that these populations had good rice-growing ability. So I wonder if... So, so you know, like, in some cases, um, some of these slave ships that went to West Africa and different places were going specifically to areas where they could pick up um, people who would better cultivate, like, rice or indigo well, or cotton. It, well, interestingly, interestingly, and um, according to my research, in South Carolina, they wanted those slaves who may have had ancestry in Madagascar because they could grow rice in the low country, you know, that Carolina gold rice. On the other hand, in Alabama, where cotton was king, mm-hmm. those slaves, enslaved people, couldn't last, and they didn't want them. They wanted actually seasoned slaves from the Caribbean who could withstand different types of diseases and, and all of that and, and you know, come and work in, in the harsh conditions like in Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama. And in New Jersey, for whatever reason, um, the Dutch specialized in not only getting slaves from Madagascar, they got them from pirates who took the slaves from Madagascar and mm-hmm. sold them into like New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, where um, they had slavery that was developing alongside the slavery in, in the Virginias in the North and South Carolinas. I have a match, actually, a DNA match, who is from Louisiana, from Southern Louisiana. Mm-hmm. She is about 10% Native American, okay. about 4% Southeast Asian, and you know the rest African American and European. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mostly African-American. I mean, mostly African. I'm sorry, not African-American. There's no such thing as African-American DNA. Right. It's African. <laughs> African DNA. And she's, you know, a small percent European. And um, interestingly, she does not know what exact Native American tribe that she's from. But she does know that um, she, and she has a picture of her great-great-grandmother who was 100% Native American. Mm-hmm. And it's on the, the records actually listed as such. Oh, wow. And her percent, you know, support uh, 10% would be in the range of a great-grandparent that had significant amount of Native American ancestry. Right. But she matched us very interestingly on Southeast Asian segments. And she also has a B2 haplogroup. So mm-hmm. we thought it was on my grandfather's side. But uh, more DNA testing, first of all, determined that her B2 and our B2 was completely different, so it wasn't a connection. Okay. It, but it did determine that we shared Southeast Asian DNA and um, a little bit of African. And she didn't know 
that she too had ancestry from Madagascar. And that, that the Southeast Asian wasn't a part of her Native American. Interestingly enough, she shares another match with somebody actually from Madagascar on the Southeast Asian segments. That's how come we know it from Madagascar. Right. Because it's shared with somebody. And then she wants to know, well, how is she related, could possibly relate to, be related to us? Mm. And um, in New Jersey, they had uh, an illegal slave trading ring. Uh, called the Van Wickle Slave Ring. And it was a judge named Van Wickle who took slaves from Monmouth County, New Jersey. There were a lot of Malagasy slaves in in, uh, New Jersey. And they took them illegally. Some of them were free Mm. and were not slaves and sold them down to Louisiana. Oh, my gosh. And that is how I believe that that me and, and this lady is connected. Um, interestingly enough, we have the, the, the surname Van Horn in the family, which is Dutch. The Van Horns, they had runaway slave ads um, where uh, Cornelius Van Horn in particular was looking for a slave with a Malagasco appearance. Okay. And they had several slaves from Madagascar. And what happened in particularly in New Jersey, they sort of ran away into the hinterland, mixed with the runaway, the, the Europeans, because some... Indentured Europeans ran away from Cornelius, too. Mm. Like, he had indentured servants from Ireland and England. They all ran away together in the hinterland, mixed with the Native Americans, became isolated, basically had sex with each other, became an endogamous group. Mm-hmm. And if you add in the Van Winkle slave ring of them, moving them down to Louisiana, that's how you see these connections um, coming about. Mm. The same thing with Virginia where they had large uh, free people uh, free people of color as well as slaves, um, some Malagasy, because they were in the light of hue, so naturally they may have had it better. So I guess to slightly switch gears. Okay. Um, but not really. <laughs> okay. Um, what advice would you have for someone who is trying to, let's start with African DNA. So let's, let's say someone who wants to find a connection to Africa. So I think we were talking about before how um, there's a lot of people, a lot of African-Americans after seeing the new Black Panther movie that are very, you know, very much want to be tied to Wakanda, even though there is is no physical Wakanda, but um, they want to be tied to, you know, something African and they want to be able to, you know, work through that and figure that out. So, um, and I guess the same question for Native American, but more, more so, what, what is your advice for someone who wants to find out um, more about their specific ancestry? Okay, well, the wonderful thing about Wakanda and, you know, the movie Black Panther is it seemed to inspire the masses to be interested in finding their real Wakanda. We uh, know that Wakanda is not like a real place, but... Well, some people actually think it is a real place, (laughs) but whatever it is, it's, you know, a a beautiful, inspiring place, a place to want to look for and to be proud of. And I was frankly very, very happy to see, you know, us donning, you know, our African gear going, you know, to the premiere. Um, they held voter registrations, and I was kind of hoping they had DNA testing drives <laughs> at these events. Right. But but a lot of people are interested in finding their 
um, African roots. And I wanted to uh, I wanted to start by going back to um, when I told you Ancestry DNA came out with their haplogroup test product, mm. and then there was a group a, a DNA test called African Ancestry. Yes. Uh, by Dr. Kittles, uh, who's also African-American and owns his own DNA company, who, who also offered the same type of testing. And when these tests came out to the market, they were advertised as you finding your African roots, your, your, your true uh, African tribe. And if you actually study what they were offering, and if you can remember what I talked about earlier, about um, maternal and paternal haplogroup testing, it only tests uh, very specific lines of your family. For instance, um, every male and female child inherits their mitochondrial DNA, which determines their maternal haplogroup from their mother and her mother and her mother and her mother going back thousands of years. Every male child inherits an exact copy of his Y DNA, which determines his paternal haplogroup which he inherited from his father and his father and his father and all of his forefathers going back uh, thousands of years. And together, though, these very specific lines only represent about 0.1% of your total ancestry. It does not include what I told you about earlier is the autosomal DNA, which looks at your ethnic percentages and your DNA matches. Um, uh, however, you can learn about, like I said, your mother's ancient lineage and your father's ancient lineage. But also, your father, for instance, has a maternal haplogroup that you didn't inherit that he got from his mother. But it's also um, connected to you, but not just directly. Right. So there are several haplogroups that you could be looking for. And so, in a way, um, African ancestry and the early ancestry DNA we're not very informative about really finding our African ancestors. And um, to go, to keep going about African ancestry, their haplogroup testing is uh, pricey at $299. And um, when they match you to a so-called tribe, that tribe is usually connected to you thousands of years ago. And thousands of years ago, coming to now, to when they were enslaved, they could have went through several transformations. They could have been um, uh, subject to integration from other tribes. They could have took on a new identity, a new nationality. So in essence, you're really not being connected to your tribe, say, within the last 500 years, which is what you want because the tribes within the last 500 years were taken from the shores of Africa, brought to the Americas, and they became your ancestors. So there was not a test able to do that until um, tests like uh, uh, Ancestry upgraded uh, Ancestry um, 23andMe and to a lesser, much lesser extent, Family Tree DNA um, offered uh, genetic uh, matching where you, where it, there's a, a database where you can, where you're matched to other customers who took the DNA test. The more DNA you share with that person, the more likely you are related to them, and the test can look back, I would say, roughly three or 400 years. So if you took a DNA test like that, like Ancestry or 23andMe, that offers relative matching, um, likely, as an African-American, you, you should be able to find 
your specific African relatives. Like for instance, when I tested, I had a, a, a match who said that all of his four grandparents were born in Guinea, Africa. Mm -hmm. And um, he also was not only connected to me, he was related to my first cousin, twice removed, who is uh, 94 years old, as well as her son. We all shared a 16, what they call Center Morgan segment, mm -hmm. which is undoubtedly a real match. So when I contacted the person, he told me that he was from the Fulani tribe and lived in the Futa Jalan region of uh, Guinea. Mm. So his ancestors apparently somehow ended up in America. Now, if you can recall, I told you that I had my, my grandfather was a Native American lineage, a Native from Colonial, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. Well, it so happens that my 94-year-old first cousin twice removed, she also has that Native American haplogroup, and she's 6% Southeast Asian from Madagascar, but she also shared that Guinea match, and we're also all from Col Colonial, New Jersey. Okay. And when you look at the history of Colonial, New Jersey, you will see that the first slaves that the Dutch bought to the ports of New York and, Port, and Perth Amboy, New Jersey, were from the Guinea coast. Mm. And um, I have a census record of one of my ancestors who um, was born, she was born about 1780, and her father is being listed, in fact, there's two records, is being listed in Guinea. Wow. And um, interestingly, going to, keep, to keep going, um, there was a man who was a former enslaved who purchased his freedom. His name was Ari Van Guinea. In Dutch, that means Harold from the Guinea coast. And he was able to uh, accumulate enough cash to own hundreds of acres of property in New Jersey and sold the Germans' land to build their first, uh, uh, I think it's called the German Lutheran Church in New Jersey. Mm. A black man. So, uh, you know, so I found a match like that. I also have a match from the Fanta tribe of Ghana who actually shares a uh, 19 Center Morgans with my father. And this match uh, is a doctoral student in, here in America. Mm. And all of his parents are from the Fanta tribe. And he actually thought that my father was African. And I said, no, my father was born in Mississippi. And I could only trace his roots to like the late, I mean the early 1800s, mm. to the uh, cotton plantations. Right. So that Ghana match also matches with my uncle and two of my brothers and other people. So now we are able to identify our African matches, and that also goes to say that we're like we're like we're not just from one tribe. We're actually really Pan African Americans to be honest with you. Right. We are, our African consists of several different biogeographical bio regions, several different ethnic groups, several different tribes that may have overlapped with each other over time. There's more um, genetic diversity within Africa than all the world's populations, which uh, means that, and, and then if you can uh, factor in the transatlantic slave trade, and how when the Africans got over here, they were further mixed with each other by force usually or by circumstance. We never, almost never, ever, ever have just one African tribe, unless you're maybe from the Gullah Islands of South Carolina. But otherwise, you will have several. And I, I, I can use an example. Let's say that 
with your fourth great grandparents, you have 64 fourth great grandparents. Exactly. We could venture to say maybe 80% of them was enslaved. Now, if you took each of those uh, 80% fourth great grandparents and determined like where they lived and where they were from, mm -hmm. I highly doubt that you would figure that any of them would be from the same African tribe. Okay. It's just not going to happen. So we, it's beautiful that we're from West Africa, we're from North Africa, we're from Southeast Africa, we're from Madagascar, Zanzibar, Cabo Verde, we're from a lot of different places. That was further mixed in the Caribbean, South America, Mexico, <laughs> Central America, and America, and even Canada. <laughs> so, I mean, so I, I mean, we, um, the other thing is there's a dearth of African testers um, and African-American testers. We need to get more people tested. For instance, in South Carolina, the oldest, one of the oldest paternal haploroots was just found in somebody from South Carolina, um, haplogroup AOO, that's like 300,000 years old or something like that. Mm. And it was matched to people in Cameroon. And... Um, a rare lineage, and the only way that we can find these things out is, is, is that we test more people at places like Ancestry and 23andMe, which 23andMe, in their thing, in their favor, they have a lot of projects like the uh, Africa, the Global Genetics Project, uh, Project Now, where if you got poor grandparents born in certain African countries, you can test there for free. Mm. Um, it's just a matter of getting people to test. Getting African Americans and Africans to talk to each other because to, to, I feel like today's Africans and African Americans don't talk about their common ancestors. The Africans don't seem to want to know where their ancestors actually wound up or they don't seem to be connected like they should. Right. And going back to Black Panther, I think that it, 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 it went a ways of trying to bridge that gap, trying to bring that conversation back to the table. Mm -hmm. And like I said, getting people to test at the places where they can meet their specific African relatives, not a haplogroup test that can only tell you a very little bit about your ancestry. Right. That's very true. So. Um, and I'm glad, you know, I'm watching people every day on uh, mostly just Facebook groups and things, you know, meet their family from Congo and from Nigeria and from like all over Africa. Um, right. So I think it's, yeah, it's amazing. Um, I also manage a kit for one of my friends who's from Nigeria and I watch every day on Ancestry just a whole bunch of African Americans come through. They, they actually have a match from Mexico, which I think is the craziest thing in the world. And I'm like, how do we have a Mexican cousin? Right. From Veracruz probably. Right. Mm -hmm. There's a major trade in post. Right. So I, I, I just think that's amazing to just see how many people uh, are in that, that, that list that pop up. Um, and I wish if I had all the time in the world, <laughs> I right. would want to, you know, research every single one of those lines. Right. Um, and bring it forward. Oh, so, I, yeah, how much of your, so your father's family, you say it's from Mississippi, what part? My father's family, well, my father's father's side is from Hines County, Mississippi, a Hines. little town called Raymond. Mm -hmm. And my father's mother's side is from uh, uh, South Carolina, um, Florence and Williamsburg County. Mm. South, a place called Lake City. Okay. 
Um, and I'm still, I'm discovering like unknown adoptions, <laughs> secret right. adoptions, love affairs and everything. So it's still a, 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 you know, a work in progress. Okay. I asked because, so my, uh, my maternal grandmother's family is from Mississippi, from um, Knoxville County, uh, which is like on the border with Alabama, Northeast Mississippi. Right. Um, and something that a lot of us who do research in Mississippi say is that Mississippi is one of the hardest states to research for African Americans. Um, but I wanted to know, seeing that, you know, you're kind of, you know, divulging into it now, do you find that true? <laughs> um, yes and no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, with Mississippi, yes. I mean, Mississippi, um, what, I'm, what I am finding is that at 1870, there seems to be a roadblock, mm-hmm. a brick wall, where our ancestors, like, disappear. Where they're not, like, in, next door Louisiana, on the other hand, which has records listing the ships, the tribes, and the languages often of some of the slaves. Right. We're not seeing that in uh, Mississippi. I'm seeing um, slave owners with huge cotton fields. Um, actually, a few Native American sharecroppers that live next door... Um, after slavery ended, um, I know that um, a lot of my ancestors seemed to have become slave, I mean, sharecroppers, but left because they were being gypped. Mm-hmm. And then by the time they, uh, I guess, during the Great Migration, got up to the Chicago's and the New York's and places like that, you know, things were lost, including sometimes a family connection. Right. So, um, Mississippi, places like Mississippi is tough, and, and what I'm finding that we're ha- the, the, the next thing to do is to actually go to those places in Mississippi and look at the local records in the old churches and talk to people. People don't have nothing to do a lot of times, so they'll talk, you know, they'll at least talk to you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, get involved with the uh, reunions, and sometimes you have to get, unfortunately, involved if you have white slave owners, you have to get involved with them to get the information that you need. Gotcha. Um, uh, on one of my family lines from Virginia, I was able to get a picture of my third great-grandmother by a cousin who just happened to be at an unrelated cousin's house in Virginia, and the pictures were in their closet. Wow. And, I mean, you know, so it's talking to people, getting them to share their pictures and records, and then doing your own uh, uh, research. Sometimes, I mean, it's challenging because a lot of records are not there. They don't exist, or we, you know, they were destroyed, or we, you know, we don't know where to look, or something like that. Right. But when you have a place, again, like Mississippi, a, a rural place, you have to go to the county seats, <laughs> in the local towns and see what you can find. Exactly. Yeah, because a lot of that stuff is in a box in some basement somewhere and no and one's put it into a book yet. <laughs> people complain about, um, oh, they kept the same, like they named the children the same over and over. But I found that very useful because you can uh, sort of figure out who may be related to you by seeing some of the same first name over and over. Right, exactly. Of course, it becomes a nightmare when everybody from a former slave plantation kept the same last name. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, of course, that again, you can, DNA testing can help you figure out, well, who's not the Dixon and who's the real Dixon. 
Exactly. Stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and even that, like you were saying, that a lot of these people were on like these really large cotton plantations. Um, I found that a lot by searching by first name and not being tied right. to whatever their last name was in 1870 and after. Um, right. You can find whole family groups living on a plantation and it doesn't have to be the same name as uh, whatever they used after 1870. Because uh, if right. you think about it, if this plantation has you know enslaved 300 people, right, then and you go to the 1870 census for that county, and you don't find 300 people who have that same last name. Right. Well, you have to think, okay, well, where did those other people go? Well, for the most most part, in the same place. You know, right. not that people didn't migrate, um, you know, to neighboring counties and even out of state. But for the most part, most of those people, you know, didn't have enough money to move. So they're, they're right. literally sitting right exactly where you found them. Um, but they just are going under a different name. Right. Um, and I think that's something, what do they call it? The, the Netty rule. Right. So there's this African-American genealogist um, named Nettie Nesby. Um, and I think they named that rule after her because what they found was that uh, this person found their family in the 1870 census by researching um, the people who lived in the neighborhood. So just going right. uh, 10 families before, 10 families after, 10 pages before, 10 pages after. Right. Um, and you start to notice, looking between 1870 and 1880, that a lot of the communities, the people are listed, you know, maybe not exact same order, but they're listed pretty much in the same community. Right. Um, even though their names may have even changed from the 1870 census to the 1880 census. Right. Um, and a lot of times that's clues to where they may have been living. You know, slavery was officially abolished and uh, emancipation in 1863, and then at the end of the Civil War in 1865, you can start finding people in 1863 and 1865 right. just by looking at where they were in 1870. Exactly. But it's like so crucial to get to at least that point. To get to the, yeah, it should help, the, and the, maybe one day world. GPS can be used better to help <laughs> mm. track those migrations, I, I, I suppose. Mm. That'd be interesting. <laughs> I was just thinking about right. the maps that you could, you could right. build. Um, that's the other thing is that, um, you know, when people think about migrations, uh, we have to remember like what people were able to physically do back then, um, and how long it would have taken kind of thing. So there's one, one of my families, my, oh, this will be my fifth great grandmother. Um, her name was 20. Uh, she was owned by the Brown Ridge family, um, from, uh, Chowan, uh, North Carolina. Okay. Um, and there is a, they kept papers in this family um, where one of the, the slave owner, um, actually there were two slave owners, there was uh, two brothers um, and their sister um, were writing letters back and forth to each other uh, right. on the trip to Mississippi from North Carolina. Um, so it took them about three and a half months to literally march down from North Carolina down to Mississippi. Wow. by foot um, and they wrote detailed notes so they said things like uh, you know their slaves had a what they called a sunny disposition I don't know what they meant by that back right. then, but <laughs> um, so they were the only people at least when they looked at the other slave cockles mm-hmm. they were the only people that weren't chained Okay. so you know nobody in, well, at least my family and the other people that came with them is about a hundred slaves um those people, they didn't have to chain them because 
whatever reason. Right. You know, and I, I'm thinking more, they just didn't know where to go. So they were like, well, we're going someplace better than we were in North Carolina. Right. Um, but one of the things I think is amazing is that they started to, uh, the sister started to dictate letters from uh, the enslaved black people back to their family members in North Carolina. So they left about half the plantation in North Carolina. Right. Um, and what they would say to them is be like, hey, you know, like husbands and wives were split. Brothers and sisters were split. And people were like, oh, you know, Jenny, I wish I get to see you again um, when you come. So what was supposed to happen was that one brother was supposed to bring his slaves um, and a portion of his brother's slaves down. And then the brother was supposed to come down the next summer. Right. And he was supposed to bring everybody else so that they could all reunite in, in Mississippi. The problem was that this estate was very much in debt. So they brought down a, one portion of the family, mm-hmm. uh, brought them to North Carolina. The brother comes down the next year, a little bit later than he had expected, um, okay. and he didn't really have any of the enslaved black people with him. So what happened to them? They got sold off, for the most part, which was really sad for the people that were there because they were like, I'm really hoping to see my brother. I'm really hoping to see right. my sister again. And they never saw them again. At least from what I know. Right. Um, so, you know, that's something I think is amazing for us as people who are doing DNA testing is that now we're starting to bridge those gaps. Yes, we are. So, now if you find a... If, if I were to find a match in North Carolina who, you know, had that similar surname... I, I can tell you, I probably know exactly where they came from. Exactly. And exactly where they're going to, you know, connect in time. I'm still waiting for that to happen. <laughs> it will, it will. A lot of this testing just takes a lot of, a lot of waiting for other people to test <laughs> so that everything right. can line and, up perfectly. And, um, of course, I mean, it goes without saying that people should also try to connect with their matches and also try to, to find out as much as possible about their family trees and fill those out too. Mm-hmm. And uh, people have to remember that we don't own our ancestors. <laughs> um, there are other people that are family that could be just as interested or more interested in helping. A lot of people uh, are afraid of uh, secrets getting out. They're, uh, which secrets have destroyed families? They're afraid that the government is going to do something nefarious with their results, not true, nothing has ever happened to mine, and I've tested widely and everywhere. Uh, one of the interesting things is even before Black Panther, scientists have be- began to now have an interest in DNA testing of African populations and studying African populations as well as African Americans and other Africans in the, in the diaspora. So it's, you know, it's advantageous to take uh, a part in DNA testing, for this, particularly when it's free. But I also want to uh, touch on the fact that, some, that in dealing with genetic genealogy, please be aware that some of the genetic genealogists, um, it was founded by Europeans, so it's very Eurocentric. And you have a lot of people who were raised with racist social constructs and ideologies who are now the so-called experts telling us about 
uh, our African DNA. Mm -hmm. And it's important to me that those of us who are in the know or who are educated and who can understand this stuff and who know how to relate it to the masses, that those experts need to get it right. They, we're not just one um, African uh, place where everybody's the same because they have dark skin. Well, Africa is the blueprint of human, modern anatomical humans. So therefore, <laughs> I mean, we're the blueprint. So therefore, I mean, they need to really um, take care of and investigate us. That we know, they know that we want to ultimately find our uh, tribal roots, and they need to work toward that uh, more. So, is when you test, it's like testing with uh, a, a consciousness, a conscience, testing. Um, with the notion, with, with knowing that it's a growing science and that there are prejudices, but mm -hmm. it's something that's needed. I wish the government could pay for everybody, you know, through reparations. Uh, but it's very important to test. And um, a DNA test is not a replacement for your traditional genealogy. It serves to complement it, and they should be used together uh, for uh, the best results. But in order for us to find our Africa, to find our African roots, and to begin to put together a story uh, that was raped from us, we have to test. And we have to begin to list our ancestors. And we have to talk to each other. And we have to talk to Africans, too. Some Africans, <laughs> you know, they feel like, or they may have forgotten that it was our mutual ancestors who paved the way for them to come over here um, and do the things that they can do to, to send back to the motherland. I keep, I guess I bring that up is because I just feel like, again, a movie like Black Panther may have reignited that conversation. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that was the point. <laughs> and, um, and it goes without saying that, like, you know, I mean, I love seeing people like you who have scientific expertise, and I would just love to see more people in the upper echelons of these, these DNA labs and genomics and these DNA companies, not just secretaries <laughs> and, and uh, accountants and phone people and stuff. They need to be in there helping us uh, undo our ancestry. Right. And that, that even speaks to a larger issue of getting more uh, people of color, more black people involved in STEM careers and STEM fields, period. Yes. Um, which is very lacking. <laughs> I don't yes. know how to put that more eloquently, but it's it's definitely lacking and it definitely needs to be um addressed. I mean there are groups out there that are, you know, trying right. to influence it. And that's the one thing I liked about I mean, not to give away spoilers about Black Panther, but <laughs> at the end of the movie, um, they had proposed uh to build a uh STEM learning center in uh, Oakland. This is not real. This is in the movie. But right. in the movie, <laughs> part of the final movie, they were going to build a, a learning center in Oakland to help uh, the young kids get, you know, influenced there because at least this fictional place of Wakanda was just so right. technologically advanced that they have a whole new population of people that they now have to teach. Right. Um, different things. And and that's kind of the impasse where we definitely are now. And those are places where 
of definitely genetics, uh, genomics is a place where people of color need to bring their uh, experiences to. Right. Because a lot of the uh, stuff, the places where it ties into history uh, are definitely influenced by, you know, the things that we, you know, went through as people. Right. So any last... uh, Last words, last bits of advice, last uh, thoughts. Well, I'd like to say, of course, um, please do not be afraid of uh, DNA testing. Um, Go into it with an open mind. Um, If you're an adoptee, go into it with a forgiving mind of anything that may have or have not happened. Be prepared for rejection. Be prepared for not hearing from people, but be also be prepared for those golden moments where you do connect with family, um, where you do find out amazing discoveries that you never knew about your ancestry. Um, um, do it now. Um, it's an investment. It's like I said, it's a revolving, growing science. Um, one of the best things that you can do is when you do decide to test. You should take that time to research what all the DNA testing means because it's not quite as simple as the, the companies advertise and it's usually not how you perceive it <laughs> or uh, analyze it, project it to other people. So um, I say that. I mean, also, if you want me to help you and give you my advice, you can uh, go. I have a blog. Uh, called Roots and Recombinant DNA, www.rootsandrecombinantdna.com. Or um, you can find me on Facebook in a new Facebook group called the Africana Genetic Genealogy Consortium. Or... um, the African um, Ancestry Explorer Group. Um, they're both on Facebook. and um, Or you can actually uh, contact me at kinggenomebytldixon at gmail.com. That's K-I-N-G-G-E-N-O-M-E-B-Y-T-L-D-I-X-O-N at gmail.com. And I will post all those links. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because I know you probably listen to it a few more times. <laughs> And, um, oh, I would be remiss without mentioning the author, the food author, uh, Michael Twitty, um, who wrote the book by HarperCollins called The Cooking Gene. It was released last year, and I was uh, honored to analyze his family's DNA results in Chapter 8 called the (laughs) 0.01%. So get your copy of that, too. And, um, you know, let's continue to have these conversations. Let's make discoveries and momentous moments together. Let's explore.